0: Chapter 39 of McClellan's Own Story, by George Brinton McClellan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Mike Manalakis. Chapter 39. Crossing the Potomac. The march of a great army. Overtaking the enemy. Another battle imminent. Removed from the command. Burnside brings the order farewells to the army on the 25th of october the pontoon bridge at berlin was constructed there being already one across the potomac and another across the shenandoah at harper's ferry on the 26th two divisions of the ninth corps and pleasanton's brigade of cavalry crossed at berlin and occupied Lovettsville. the first sixth and ninth corps the cavalry and reserve artillery crossed at berlin between the 26th of october and the second of november The 2nd and 5th Corps crossed at Harper's Ferry between the 29th of October and 1st of November. Heavy rains delayed the movement considerably in the beginning, and the 1st, 5th, and 6th Corps were obliged to halt at least one day at the crossings to complete, as far as possible, the necessary supplies that could not be procured at an earlier period. The plan of campaign I adopted during the advance was to move the Army well in hand parallel to the Blue Ridge, taking Warrenton as the point of direction for the main army, seizing each pass on the Blue Ridge by detachments as we approached it, and guarding them after we had passed, as long as they would enable the enemy to trouble our communications with the Potomac. It was expected that we would unite with the Eleventh Corps and Sickles Division near Thoroughfare Gap. We depended upon Harper's Ferry and Berlin for supplies until the Manassas Gap Railway was reached. When that occurred, the passes in our rear were to be abandoned, and the army massed ready for action or movement in any direction it was my intention if upon reaching ashby's or any other pass i found that the enemy were in force between it and the potomac in the valley of the shenandoah to move into the valley and endeavour to gain their rear i hardly hoped to accomplish this but did expect that by striking in between culpepper courthouse and little washington i could either separate their army and beat them in detail or else force them to concentrate as far back as Gordonsville, and thus place the Army of the Potomac in position either to adopt the Fredericksburg line of advance upon Richmond, or to be removed to the peninsula if, as I apprehended, it were found impossible to supply it by the Orange and Alexandria Railroad beyond Culpeper. On the 27th of October, the remaining divisions of the Ninth Corps crossed to Berlin, and Pleasanton's cavalry advanced to Purcellville. The concentration of the Sixth Corps, delayed somewhat by intelligence as to the movements of the enemy near Hedgesville, etc., was commenced on this day, and the First Corps was already in motion for Berlin. On the twenty-eighth, the First Corps and the General Headquarters reached Berlin. On the twenty-ninth, the Reserve Artillery crossed and encamped near Lovitzville. Stoneman's Division, temporarily attached to the Ninth Corps, occupied Leesburg. Averill's Cavalry Brigade moved towards Berlin from Hagerstown. Two divisions of the Ninth Corps moved to Wheatland and one to Waterford. The 2nd Corps commenced the passage of the Shenandoah at Harper's Ferry and moved into the valley east of Loudoun Heights. On the 30th, the 1st Corps crossed at Berlin and encamped near Lovettsville, and the 2nd Corps completed the passage of the Shenandoah. The 5th Corps commenced its march from Sharpsburg to Harper's Ferry. On the 31st, the 2nd Corps moved to the vicinity of Hillsborough. The 6th Corps reached Boonesboro. The 5th Corps reached Harpers Ferry, one division crossing the Shenandoah. On the 1st of November, the 1st Corps moved to Purcellville and Hamilton. The 2nd Corps to Wood Grove, The 5th Corps to Hillsboro. The 6th Corps reached Berlin, one division crossing. Pleasanton's cavalry occupied Philomont, having a sharp skirmish there and at Bloomfield. On November 2nd, The 2nd Corps occupied Snickers Gap, the 5th Corps Snickersville, the 6th Corps crossed Potomac and encamped near Wheatland, the Ninth Corps advanced to Bloomfield, Union, and Philomont. Pleasanton drove the enemy out of Union, Averill was ordered to join Pleasanton, the enemy offered no serious resistance to the occupation of Snickers Gap, but advanced to gain possession of it with a column of some 5,000 to 6,000 infantry. Who were driven back by a few rounds from our rifled guns. On the third, the first corps moved to Philamont, Union, Bloomfield, etc., the second corps to the vicinity of Upperville, the fifth corps remained at Snickers Gap, the sixth corps moved to Purcellville, the ninth corps moved towards Upperville. Pleasanton drove the enemy out of Upperville after a severe fight. On the fourth, the second corps took possession of Ashby's Gap, the sixth corps reached Union the Ninth Corps, Upperville, the cavalry occupied Piedmont. On the 5th, the 1st Corps moved to Rectortown and White Plains, one division of the 2nd Corps to the intersection of the Paris and Piedmont with the Upperville and Barbers Road, the 6th Corps to the Aldi Pike, east of Upperville, the Ninth Corps beyond the Manassas Railroad, between Piedmont and Salem, with a brigade at Manassas Gap. The cavalry under Avril had a skirmish at Manassas Gap, and the brigade of Pleasanton gained a handsome victory over superior numbers at barber's crossroads bayard's cavalry had some sharp skirmishing in front of salem on the sixth the first corps advanced to warrenton the second corps to rectortown the fifth corps commenced its movement from snickers gap to white plains the ninth corps to waterloo and vicinity on the rappahannock the eleventh corps was at new baltimore thoroughfare and hopewell's gaps Sickles Division guarding the Orange and Alexandria Railroad from Manassas Junction towards Warrenton Junction. The cavalry near Flint Hill bared to cut off what there might be in Warrenton and to proceed to the Rappahannock Station. November 7th, General Pleasanton was ordered to move towards Little Washington and Sperryville, and thence towards Culpeper Courthouse. November 8th, the 2nd Corps moved halfway to Warrenton, the 5th Corps to New Baltimore november ninth the second and fifth corps reached warrenton the sixth corps new baltimore late on the night of the seventh i received an order relieving me from the command of the army of the potomac and directing me to turn it over to general burnside which i at once did i had already given the orders for the movements of the eighth and 9th; these orders were carried into effect without change the position in which i left the army as the result of the orders i had given was as follows the 1st, 2nd, and 5th Corps, Reserve Artillery, and General Headquarters at Warrenton; The ninth Corps on the line of the Rappahannock, in the vicinity of Waterloo. The 6th Corps at New Baltimore. The 11th Corps at New Baltimore, Gainesville, and Thoroughfare Gap. Sickles Division of the 3rd Corps on the Orange and Alexandria Railroad, from Manassas Junction to Warrenton Junction. Pleasanton across the Rappahannock at Amisville, Jefferson, etc., with his pickets at Hazel River. Facing Long Street, six miles from Culpeper Court House, Bayard near Rappahannock Station, the army was thus massed near Warrenton, ready to act in any required direction, perfectly in hand, and in admirable condition and spirits. I doubt whether, during the whole period that I had the honor to command the Army of the Potomac, it was in such excellent condition to fight a great battle. When I gave up the command to General Burnside. The best information in our possession indicated that Longstreet was immediately in our front, near Culpeper, Jackson with one, perhaps both, of the hills near Chester and Thornton's Gaps, with a mass of their force west of the Blue Ridge. The reports from General Pleasanton on the advance indicated the possibility of separating the two wings of the enemy's forces and either beating longstreet separately or forcing him to fall back at least upon gordonsville to effect his junction with the rest of the army the following is the report of general pleasanton at this time and from the seventh instant my advance pickets were at hazel river within six miles of culpepper besides having my flank pickets towards chester and thornton's gaps extended to gaine's crossroads and Newby's crossroads with numerous patrols in the direction of woodville little washington and sperryville the information gained from these parties, and also from deserters, prisoners, contrabands, as well as citizens, established the fact of Longstreet, with his command, being at Culpeper, while Jackson, with D. H. Hill, with their respective commands, were in the Shenandoah Valley, on the western side of the Blue Ridge, covering Chester and Thornton's gaps, and expecting us to attempt a pass through and attack them. As late as the 17th of November, a contraband just from Strasburg came into my camp and reported that D. H. Hill's Corps was two miles beyond that place, on the railroad to Mount Jackson. Hill was tearing up the road and destroying the bridges under the impression that we intended to follow into that valley, and was en route for Staunton. Jackson's Corps was between Strasburg and Winchester. Ewell and A. P. Hill were with Jackson. Provisions were scarce, and the rebels were obliged to keep moving to obtain them. On the 10th of November, General Pleasanton was attacked by Longstreet, with one division of infantry and Stuart's cavalry, but repulsed the attack. This indicates the relative position of our army and that of the enemy at the time I was relieved from the command. Had I remained in command, I should have made the attempt to divide the enemy, as before suggested, and could he have been brought to a battle within reach of my supplies, I cannot doubt that the result would have been a brilliant victory for our army." Brackets. The following discretionary authority to General Halleck, in the handwriting of Mr. Lincoln, was found among the papers of General Halleck after his death, and transmitted by his widow to the War Department. It is not probable that General McClellan ever heard of it. Executive Mansion, Washington. By direction of the President, it is ordered that Major General McClellan be relieved from the command of the Army of the Potomac, and that Major General Burnside take the command of that army. Also that Major General Hunter take command of the corps in said army, which is now commanded by General Burnside. That Major General Fitzjohn Porter be relieved from the command of the corps he now commands in said army, and that Major General Hooker take command of said corps. The General-in-Chief is authorized in discretion to issue an order substantially as the above, forthwith or so soon as he may deem proper. A. Lincoln, November 5th, 1862. When we broke up the camps on the Upper Potomac and moved in advance, the army was in fine order for another battle. The troops in the best of spirits, full of confidence in me, and I was then, I believe, capable of handling an army in the field as I had never been before. I felt that I could fight a great battle. The march was admirably conducted and is worthy of study. In the course of the 7th of November, I heard, incidentally, that a special train had brought out from Washington General Buckingham, who had left the railway very near our camp, and without coming to see me, had proceeded, through a driving snowstorm, several miles to Burnside's camp. I at once suspected that he brought the order relieving me from command, but kept my own counsel. Late at night, I was sitting alone in my tent, writing to my wife. All the staff were asleep. Suddenly, someone knocked upon the tent pole, and upon my invitation to enter, there appeared Burnside and Buckingham, both looking very solemn. I received them kindly and commenced conversation upon general subjects in the most unconcerned manner possible. After a few moments, Buckingham said to Burnside, Well, General, I think we had better tell General McClellan the object of our visit. I very pleasantly said that I should be glad to learn it, whereupon Buckingham handed me the two orders of which he was the bearer. Headquarters of the Army, Washington, November 5, 1862. Major General McClellan, commanding, etc. General, on receipt of the order of the President, sent herewith, you will immediately turn over your command to Major General Burnside and repair to Trenton, New Jersey, reporting on your arrival at that place by telegraph for further orders. Very respectfully, your obedient servant, H.W. Halleck, General-in-Chief. General Orders Number 182, War Department, Adjutant General's Office, Washington, November 5, 1862. By direction of the President of the United States, it is ordered that Major General McClellan be relieved from the command of the Army of the Potomac and that Major General Burnside take command of that army. By order of the Secretary of War, E.D. Townsend, Assistant Adjutant General. I saw that both, especially Buckingham, were watching me most intently while I opened and read the orders. I read the papers with a smile, immediately turned to Burnside, and said, Well, Burnside, I turn the command over to you. They soon retired, Burnside having begged me to remain for a few days with the Army, and I having consented to do so, though I wished to leave the next morning. Before we broke up from the Maryland side of the Potomac, I had said to Burnside that, as he was second in rank in the Army, I wished him to be as near me as possible on the march, and that he must keep himself informed of the condition of affairs. I took especial pains during the march to have him constantly informed of what I was doing, the positions of the various corps, etc., and he ought to have been able to take the reins in his hands without a day's delay. The order depriving me of the command created an immense deal of deep feeling in the army, so much so that many were in favor of my refusing to obey the order, and of marching upon Washington to take possession of the government. My chief purpose in remaining with the army as long as I did after being relieved was to calm this feeling, in which I succeeded. I will not attempt to describe my own feelings, nor the scenes attending my farewell to the army. They are beyond my powers of description. What words in truth could convey to the mind such a scene? Thousands of brave men, who under my very eye had changed from raw recruits to veterans of many fields, shedding tears like children in their ranks, as they bade goodbye to the general who had just led them to victory after the defeats they'd seen under another leader. Could they have foreseen the future, their feelings would not have been less intense. Brackets. The following was McClellan's farewell to the army. and brackets. Headquarters, Army of the Potomac. Camp near Rectortown, Virginia, November 7th, 1862. Officers and Soldiers of the Army of the Potomac. An order of the President devolves upon Major General Burnside the command of this army. In parting from you, I cannot express the love and gratitude I bear to you. As an army, you have grown up under my care. In you, I have never found doubt or coldness. The battles you have fought under my command will proudly live in our nation's history the glory you have achieved, our mutual perils and fatigues, the graves of our comrades fallen in battle and by disease, the broken forms of those whom wounds and sickness have disabled, the strongest associations which can exist among men, unite us still by an indissoluble tie. We shall ever be comrades in supporting the constitution of our country and the nationality of its people. George B. McClellan, Major General, U.S. Army. End of chapter 39.